Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield, and I want you to imagine today a moment in your life that was so dramatic that it would not only define you for the rest of your life, but change your life in an instant. That's exactly what happened to our guest today, Tricia Downing. And I, I want to tell you that I, I don't want to give away her story yet that, that what happened in that moment, but I know that if you're like me, you're not only going to be just mesmerized by the story, but you're going to be challenged in the way that you think. Uh, you're going to be inspired uh, by her story, and it's, and it's going to help you realize that you know you got a lot more in you that you can still do, regardless of what life has thrown at you to this point. And, and I'm not going to give you a whole lot more yet. I'm going to introduce her kind of as we go, which is different for what we do on this, just because of, of her story. And that's where I really want her to start. So, Tricia, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you. Now I'm going to give a little bit of a backstory here. So you're this you're this amazing competitive athlete. You know you're growing up and you got you got all brothers and you 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 know you're you're growing up in the, in a place where you become a really competitive athlete and you you get into a lot of of, of sports swimming and cycling and cycling becomes kind of your thing. It looks like and then and then tell us a little bit about that backstory and then give us that moment that I mentioned in the intro. Sure. So I mean, if I ever am asked one word that um, would describe me, it's usually the word athlete. And that is because of what you just said. I grew up um, in a swimming pool and then became a gymnast and a diver and um, a cyclist. And so um, really my life was just revolving around athletics and um so when I was in, um, actually when I was finishing grad school, I um, got a master's degree in sports management and I had an internship at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. And for me, that was like the top right there because the Olympics, I was a huge Olympic fan and I was going to be around all of those, you know, high achieving, high level athletes. And I was assigned to work at USA Cycling, which is the national governing body of the sport of cycling. And I didn't know, I really didn't know cycling was an Olympic sport or a locally competitive sport. I, you know, always grown up thinking a bike was for transportation. And so <laughs> when I when I learned that it was a competitive sport and watched these people race, I was like, I have to do that. And so after the internship, I did take up cycling and I raced on the road and the track and in cyclocross. And I was, I was in it a hundred percent and I had my sights on becoming a professional bike racer. And, uh, so I was training and racing and in the summer of 2000, I packed up my car and drove from Denver where I live and drove cross country, went to races in Wisconsin, to Indiana, and then to Pennsylvania. And, you know, at the end of the summer, I was more sure than ever that this was the path for me. 
And so I came home and I was on a training ride in September of that year with a friend who'd come to visit me in Colorado. And I was taking him out to the foothills because I wanted him to climb Lookout Mountain, which is a really great climb for uh, training for cyclists and where a lot of my friends and I had trained many, many times. And as we were coming back into Denver from um, Golden, we I was riding behind Matt at that time and we were heading um, east into Denver and there was a car that was headed west out to Golden and they were getting into their left-hand turn lane and turning onto the side street that we were then crossing. And I watched as my friend had to make a real um, big movement around the front of the car to avoid being hit as you know they entered the intersection at the same time. And I thought, you know, I looked at that and I was like, well, that was a close call. You know, certainly that driver sees that they almost hit a cyclist. And then I realized that the driver was either not paying attention or couldn't see whatever the case was. And so I tried to stop my bike quickly enough and I, and I couldn't. So I ended up hitting the front um, corner of the car and flipping up off of my bike and into the windshield hitting it with my back. And then I fell to the ground. And immediately as I was lying on the ground, I knew that something was dreadfully wrong because I couldn't feel my legs. I, they were, it was like they were floating over the pavement. Um, and so I ended up, of course, going in the ambulance to the, to the hospital and um, went through a whole battery of tests that night there. You know, we had the CT scan, the MRI, the x-rays, and um, finally, the doctors were able to tell my family that I had been paralyzed in the accident and that I would likely not walk again. Wow. Now, remind me again, how old are you here at this point? So I'm 31 and I'm just getting started in my career and my life. And, you know, everybody's starting to, you know, find their lifetime mates and, you know, having babies and doing all of these things. And, um, I get hit by a car and it, and it really just set my life back to square one because I had to learn all over again, just basic things like how to get into bed or, um, you know, I had to learn how to drive with my hands. So, uh, it was a big hit at that time in my life because, it was right about the time where I thought everything was blossoming and, you know, I was coming into my own, but that's not what happened. Wow. And and so I want to get into some of this a little bit here. We're going to backtrack, but I want to, I want to fast forward the audience because I want to give them the, I want to give them the good news. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the good news is that after all this, we're, this is so different than the way I do these normally, but I feel like this is such a great, powerful story is a, after you were able to kind of make this transition from this able body cyclist, right? Someone who loved and was passionate about this to an athlete with a disability. I want the audience to know that you went on to compete over, in over 100 races, marathons, triathlons. You were the first female paraplegic to compete in Ironman triathlon and qualified for the Hawaii Ironman World Championship twice. And in addition, Trisha was also a member of Team USA at the 2016 Paralympic Games in Rio de Janeiro. So I, I want the audience to know that, you know, she's on here not just because of what happened to her, but more importantly, what she did about it and her response to that. And that's really where I want to want to start with you now after that um, just amazing story. Because to me, the great, I want the audience to listen and think to themselves, what's the one thing that you love 
you know, the most doing the most in your life. And then now while doing that, it changes your life forever. Like that to me, the irony behind that, that that's the moment that happened during the, the doing the thing that you absolutely love the most. So, so how did you initially approach that? Because I don't know your mentality. I don't know how, I mean, a lot of people who are athletes have that kind of built-in gear, the, the overcoming gear, but man, this is different, right? This was this was huge. And how did you, the first, the days and the weeks that preceded or that followed that, the accident, what was your mindset like and, and how quickly did it, did it spiral or did you say immediately, nope, saying this is not going to keep me down? What was your, what was that journey like? Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of stages and a lot of steps. It's not something where, you know, I, I went into the hospital one day and I'm out two weeks later. I mean, I was in the hospital for four months. So that beginning part was really about um, survival. Um, I, you know, I was very seriously injured. I had um, broken ribs, broken scapula, a fractured neck, and then I'd fractured a uh, a whole handful of vertebrae in my back, um, which was what then impacted my spinal cord. So I am actually paralyzed at the T4 level, which is basically the middle of your chest. So, um, you know, a lot of times we hear that people are, when they're paralyzed, that we, we always hear that, well, they were paralyzed from the waist down. But that's kind of a misnomer because you can be paralyzed anywhere from your neck to your belly button. And it's a matter of what vertebrae are the ones that, you know, injure your spinal cord. So I don't have, you know, stomach muscles. I can't um, just sit up like people normally sit up every day in bed. So really in the beginning, it was, it was about um, just getting through the pain. Um, I've, I've never been in so much pain in my life and there. It was, it was like, they just couldn't control it. Um, I was on all kinds of, you know, pain meds, but it just, it was just not working. And so, um, it was just kind of fighting that the whole time. And, and so then I was in the ICU for three and a half weeks and I had to have, um, rods placed in my back and, um, my, had my gallbladder removed. And so I was there for that time. And then at the end of the three and a half weeks, um, I was finally stable and able to move to Craig hospital, which is in Denver. Um, it's a spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury rehabilitation center. It's one of the best in the world. And so I was really fortunate that that's, you know, in my hometown, my backyard, basically. And I went over there and, you know, that's where you start learning how to use a wheelchair and how to, you know, make your upper body, get it stronger so that you can transfer from your wheelchair, um, you know, out to a, another chair or your bed or the shower chair, whatever it might be. But I was still really sick and had a lot of complications when I first got to Craig. And one of those complications was that I had a pressure sore from the backboard um, on my back. And so that, um, it, it didn't heal because I was lying on it. And um, so that went, that got so deep, it went down to the, to the bone. And so I had to have a skin surgery. And um, when you do that, you have to lie down flat for at least six weeks um, so that your skin can heal uh, to get it to a point to where you can stretch it as you're sitting up and and that kind of thing. So um, that was probably the most difficult part of being in the hospital because if you can imagine lying flat on your back for six weeks, you can't sit up 
to do anything. You can't sit up to eat. You can't sit up to say hi to somebody. You know, you cannot sit up zero at all, nothing. And so um, that was a time where I just got, I got into some really dark places because it was just, I felt like I was a caged animal really. Um, but then once that healed and I got back into physical therapy and rehab, you know, I had to learn pretty quickly before insurance ran out and, um, before I was going to go home and live alone. And so, you know, we just got through my therapy exercises and the skills that I needed to learn. And I think that during that time, that's when I really did tap my athletic, um, you know, skill and determination because it really does take being mentally focused and physically aware of, you know, what your body is doing, even when you can't feel, you know, your legs and that part of your body. And, um, you know, how do I, how do I learn how to, you know, maneuver just using my arms? It's a whole, it's a whole new way of life. So that was almost, um, about three months that I spent in the hospital. And then when I got home, that was another stage yet because, you know, in the hospital, everything is about the patient and the hospital is wheelchair accessible and friendly. And, um, you know, you get out into the real world and it's not accessible and it's not disability friendly and people look at you differently and they treat you differently. And so, you know, figuring out how to, function in this new body and as almost a new person, at least on the outside. Um, you know, I knew that I was still me, but you know, like I would get stares of pity or people like, you know, I have to help you do that. Cause you're, you know, you can't do that on your own. And so it was really a lot of up and down the whole time. Like, you know, some days I'd be like, okay, this is okay. I can do it. And then there'd be other days where just everything was coming crashing down on me because I knew, you know, I'm never going to ride a bike again. I'm never going to be able to go up the stairs to visit my friends, you know, surprise them at their homes. Like I would have to be carried into the house or something. You know, there were all these, there was this, a huge list of nevers, you know, and that's never, <laughs> never a good thing. So, um, you know, it was really getting used to that and, and trying to figure out, okay, so there are all the, there are all, are all of these nevers. What, what are the possibilities and being able to have that mindset, mindset shift to let's look at the possibilities and, um, stop looking at the nevers because if they're not going to happen, you know, they can't be part of the equation. It's not worth worrying about and it's not worth getting upset about because it's not going to change. So, so Trish, where do you think that that came from, right? Because you, you obviously, 31 years of normalcy, and then you go through that, but yet somehow you found the, the strength and the, the fortitude and the resiliency. Um, and I love your honesty about, hey, I mean, there were dark days, right? There were times when it's just, you know, you were probably in that pit of despair, but yet you, you came out of it and you found some strength to draw on. Where did that come? Where's that come from? Where did it come from then? And where does it still come from today for you? Um, I, can't, I think it comes from a lot of places. I mean, I, I think for sure it comes from my personality. Um, I think it comes from my athletic background. Um, it comes from the fact that I have a very supportive family who, um, you know, was there at the ready for anything that I needed. Um, it came from the fact that when I was bike racing, I actually spent some time being a tandem pilot for a blind cyclist. And, um, so competing on a tandem. And so I was basically the eyes 
of the team and um, both of us were the motor. And so as part of that, I spent a lot of time around athletes with disabilities. So that was not only the blind athletes, but athletes with amputations, um, athletes who were wheelchair users, athletes with cerebral palsy. So I saw all these individuals with disabilities who were just going along in their life, doing their thing, you know, like they were racing bikes, just like I was racing bikes. It's just that their bikes look different. And so I had that experience to look back on and say, you know, they showed me the way really, it was a really just fortunate, um, thing that I got involved with, with the, with the disabled athletes, um, and they, they really showed me the way they showed me the attitudes. They showed me the, you know, logistics, the physical part, the mental part. And so that really helps because I had role models from the very beginning. Um, and then, you know, I think it's just being able to take it step by step, the recovery and, um, and to recognize that you're going to have those bad days and to let yourself have them, but not to stay um, you know, wallowing in, in that pity. And, and and that's the difference I think is the people who can say, okay, today is a bad day, but tomorrow's going to be a different day. There are other people who say, instead of saying, oh, I'm having a bad day, they'll say, I'm having a bad week or I'm having a bad month. And then when you start to chunk it out that big, like then you are going to have a whole bad week or a bad month. And so for me, I recognize that, that, it's just a day, you know, today can be the crappiest day you've ever had, but that doesn't mean that tomorrow is going to be the crappiest day you've ever had. Um, so I think that it's really important just to be able to, you know, give some perspective, I guess, to, you know, what, what is happening. Wow. Yeah. I love, I love that idea that you, (laughs) you, you had points of inspiration and didn't realize at the time, just how much inspiration you were actually, receiving and that would draw on that later. And so that should be like encouragement to all of us to you can find your life story, can find points of inspiration in every one of your experiences because you never know when you're going to need to draw on those experiences, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's what we're all built of. And I think that one of the things that I find is like when I watch um, the news and, you know, you, you hear about somebody who's been, you know, paralyzed in an accident or something, you know, that it's like a, you know, a one minute, 30 second story where you, they talk about the accident and then this miraculous recovery, but there's so much that happens, you know, like between those two things, you can't explain it in a minute. You know, it's, it's, it's years. I mean, I, I feel like I had probably five years of my life that were, I, I don't know if stolen is the right word, but definitely set back for me, you know? So as I was, you know, as I said before, watching my friends get married and watching my girlfriends have babies and, you know, watching people moving on in their careers, I felt like I was, you know, like just kind of treading water and trying to figure out who I was again. So, you know, that's hard and it's a, it's a long journey, but you have to let yourself have it and you have to let yourself have those feelings and own them and know that, um, you know, if, if you stay the course, then you're gonna, you're gonna figure it out. Yeah. The other thing that you said that I absolutely love is it's okay to throw yourself a a temporary pity party. You just can't throw it for yourself every day. Right. (laughs) Right. That that, that mindset of today might be a bad day, but tomorrow is going to be better. And I think having that 
that somebody out there need to hear that uh, right now from this episode, right? Because I think so many times we get into that funk where one day leads to the week, which leads to the month. And then next thing you know, you've had a series of months where you just are in that funk and you're in control of that because it's your, it's your mindset, right? Right. Do you do, do anything specifically that, or did you find anything through that journey that allowed you to almost train your mind to keep that attitude where there, did you do, you know, different types of meditation, prayer? Was there some element of spirituality to this? Was there, like, how did you, or was it just like, no, Jeff, I was just, daggone it, I was determined when I would get in a funk, this is it, I'm going to limit it, I'm going to hit the reset button tomorrow. Like, did you find any ways that that made a, a pattern for you to be able to do that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, one of the biggest things I did was writing and that really gave me a chance to explore my emotions and, and, you know, just kind of get them out there. Um, and I had, you know, a few really close friends that I was able to, you know, let my guard down with, cause you know, for my family, I wanted to be strong and I wanted to be like, I can do this. I can do anything, you know, but there, you still need to have that other side where you can talk to somebody and say, you know what, this really blows. This is not at all what I wanted, you know, and not what I had planned. And, you know, a lot time also does heal a lot of things. You know, you learn to get through things just by seeing like, you know, what, what was something that you accomplished yesterday and how do you build on that? And if you can, you know, really find something good out of every day or out of every, you know, small accomplishment, that really gives you a lot of confidence to build on. And I think that that's, you know, something that as an athlete, um, you, you really look to that, you know, because you might have a good game or a good practice, and then you might have a really bad game and a really bad practice. And you have to be able to look at your performance and say, okay, what were the things I did well? What were the things that maybe didn't go the way I wanted to? And how can I fix that for next time? And so um, I think the healing is all about, are you willing to be introspective and to look at your day? And, you know, maybe your accomplishment was small. Maybe it was just, you know, I got up, took a shower and got in my wheelchair. Like that might, you know, those, those were some of my days. Like there wasn't much else besides that, but I could say, at least I got up, at least I got dressed, at least I got in my wheelchair, you know, and then building on that. When I started, you know, riding a hand cycle, I could say, okay, at least I rode three miles today. At least, you know, I got outside and I got that done. And you just keep doing a little bit more every day and eventually you get to um, a place of, you know, being at least content. I mean, that's where I started. I, you know, that was my goal in the beginning. I look back at my journal and it's like, I just want to be content. Like I just want to be content with my life. And then, you know, I realized I could move to from that to being happy and even being, you know, ecstatic with, with some of the things that, you know, came to me and even they came to me as a result of my injury, you know, so it, it really, as much as it's taken away, it's paid off probably twice as much. Yeah. So good. Isn't it funny how you know, we, we try to measure our, our life by, you know, daily successes or activities that lead to X, Y, and Z successes. 
but who really defines what that means, right? And then I think there's such a big difference between activities that lead to success or failure versus contentment with significance of who you are. It seems like you were able to separate out that identity of who you are and contentment. You can be content and still not be satisfied, right? There's two separate things there. And it feels like you figured that out along that journey. Yeah, I, you know, like what I usually tell people is about a bike race that I was in um, before I was injured where I, I just raced horribly. You know, I had a bad day and I was riding all by myself um, to the finish line and all of my teammates and all my competitors had gone off in front of me and I was feeling like a total loser. And there was a woman who was in one of the other categories racing that day who, um, for whatever reason, was riding alone also. And she rode up next to me and she was asking me about my race and, you know, how I was doing. And I was telling her my sob story. And she said, you know, you can't define yourself as an athlete by just one race. Um, and she told me that what I really needed to do was concentrate on writing my own race. And so that's kind of been a little mantra for me is, you know, we all have different skills, talents, abilities, um, you know, uh, luck, just everything, you know, I mean, our lives are all different and, and they all go different directions. And, you know, if you spend your time looking at what somebody else has done and think, oh, wow, I should have been doing that or I can't do that or whatever, you're never, you're never going to be happy. You know, you always have to look at what you can do, how you can do it and keep that in perspective. And so um, for me, it was really learning how to ride my own race when it came to not just sports, but life in general. And um, that is easier said than done some days. You know, there was a lot of times where I was like, oh, wow, I'm the only one who's not married. I'm the only one who's not having kids. I'm the only one who's not, you know, got this really great job. And I'm the only one who hasn't done this and that, um, you know, but I realized that I had other talents and passions. And, um, you know, I was the only one who was competing internationally and I was the only one who was, you know, doing Ironmans with my arms. And I was, you know, like you have to be able to separate that out and say, I'm going to be me. I'm going to do what I do and be happy for everybody else and what they're doing. But I've got to focus on what I can do and what I can, you know, give to the world and to myself. Well, I think it's, Sometimes it's hard to look at it this, th through this lens, but I can't imagine that you would have had as big of an impact on this world if you hadn't have had the accident. You'd have had a great, significant life, and you'd have done great things. But, man, your audience, it's almost like the world's audience opened up to you because of the accident. And now you have so much more influence over people that you would have never, that this audience is a good example of that, right? I probably would have never met you had this not been part of your story that's so impactful to others. And so at the end of the day, I just think regardless of what your life journey looks like, we can't control the events that happen to us. We just can control how we respond to those events. And, and, and you're, I want to, I want to hear a little bit more about this because I watched some videos on you learning how to swim again, right? Mm -hmm. Without using your legs and then doing the iron. I'm like, how is she doing the iron? How are you doing this? Uh, so tell us a little bit about that, how you started training and realized like, what was the first time in the pool? Like after, you know, you had the accident when you actually started to realize that you 
could swim. Did you doubt that you'd be able to swim? And, and then suddenly you're doing triathlons. Yeah. So the first time I was in the pool, I actually couldn't swim. And it was a, it was a miserable swimming experience. And I thought I was going to drown. And I threw a tantrum and made my therapist get me out of the pool. And I was like, I'm just never going to swim again. Um, you know, but swimming something I've been doing since I was four years old, you know, so that was a, that was a pretty big deal for me to just storm out of the pool like that. But, um, you know, that was one of those things that I just had to like come back to and try it again at, at a different time and use a different strategy. Um, but yeah, so I, I started swimming again. I started, you know, riding a hand cycle and, um, I, what I really wanted to do was, you know, compete in hand cycles. I knew that hand cycle racing was a thing that people who use wheelchairs, um, you know, could do competitively. And I was like, well, that's like a bike, you know, I mean, it's the same thing. You just, it's a different looking bike, but I found that, you know, in Colorado and Denver, where I live, that most of the hand cycle racing was done in conjunction with able-bodied bike racing. And so for me, that was just a really hard thing. Like I just, I couldn't go to those races and um, it just was mentally too difficult. And so um, I sort of reassessed and I thought, well, maybe I'll try triathlons because it was, you know, it was a new group of people. So it wasn't like I was looking at my old teammates and watching them race bikes while I was racing a hand cycle. Um, you know, it was a new group of people. It was a new sport. It's a sport that, you know, you kind of do at your own pace. You know, you don't really ever know how you're doing in a triathlon until you get to the end, um, unless you're counting, you know, the age groups on people's calves, you know, when they're marked on their calves with their, with a marker. But, you know, so I, I started doing triathlons and it was, you know, it was very new. Um, there weren't a lot of wheelchair racers or a lot of disabled athletes doing triathlons at that time. And so I just kind of had to meet it, make it up as I went along. Um, the race directors didn't know what to do with me. I didn't know what to do, but I was like, Oh, we'll, we'll just figure this out. Let's just, let's just do it. And so, um, that's kind of how that started. And it started with short sprint triathlons. And next thing you know, I'm like, well, what if I could do an Olympic distance? And then what if I could do a half Ironman? What if I could do a full Ironman? And it just, you know, was me as an athlete, just, you know, pushing myself and, um, you know, that's that natural, like, drive of a competitive person like well if I did that I must be able to do something you know one step better and so that got me into racing and I did you know marathons triathlons um, hand cycling races and that's kind of where that took off from and then how did that end up leading to the point where you were you know you're competing then you know in the Paralympic Games and how did all that how did that all that transpire to where you got to, to be on Team USA Oh, that's a, that's a long journey in and of itself too, because uh, my last time at Hawaii was in 2010 and um, I had my shoulder just was in pain. And normally for me after a triathlon, I'd get a couple massages and then my shoulders would be fine. And it just didn't get better, didn't get better and didn't get better. So I finally went to a physical therapist and, um, got some dry needling and, and I got, um, some exercises. And basically the therapist told me that, you know, the front of my body was so strong from pushing, you know, pushing a wheelchair, pushing a hand cycle, pushing a racing chair, but that my back 
muscles were really weak. So um, the therapist suggested, you know, using a rowing machine at the gym and doing rowing exercises and things like that. And in my athlete mind, I thought, oh, that must mean I should be a competitive rower. And so then I started rowing and I um, worked with some national team coaches and I was like, I want to be the best tomorrow. And I, I pushed it just too hard, too fast and ended up with some more back injuries and, and a hip injury and four more surgeries. And so that was basically the end of my athletic career. And it just left me with chronic pain. And so I was, you know, for a good four years or so, I was just finding other things to do with my life. You know, like I started a nonprofit and I, um, you know, did more motivational speaking and I got a full-time job and, you know, was doing all of these things. And one day I was at work and I was like, this isn't going to work for me. I need to be an athlete. I need to compete. And I got on the computer and I'm like, what are the other Paralympic sports that I could look at? And um, I was trying to figure out what wouldn't injure my body as much as doing triathlons or rowing. And I looked at shooting and I looked at archery and I just picked shooting because I, you know, I had, um, I did a biathlon clinic with a friend one day and, and I'd shot a, a rifle that day and my one and only time behind a gun, I was like, okay, let's try rifle shooting. So I um, contacted a coach at the Olympic training center and he had a camp going on that next week. And so he invited me to come and I tried the rifle and it was, it was okay. Um, but at lunch, one of the other um, athletes, said, you know, I think you'll have much more fun if you shoot pistol. So I was like, okay, whatever. I don't know anything about any of them. So let's just try it. And I tried the pistol and I've been doing it ever since. And that was seven years ago. And um, I qualified for um, the Paralympic team in 2016 and am now training for um, Tokyo. And hopefully that happens and hopefully I qualify. So it's been quite a journey, but for me, like changing from sport to sport to sport is a way of life. And, you know, it's just a matter of figuring out what you have to do to be good at the sport and then going out there and doing it. Wow. Just, uh, I mean, the, 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 the mindset that you have is, it is inspiring, right? Cause I, I my guess is, they put the pistol in your hands and, and you thought within a matter of minutes, oh, I'm going to probably be the best at this. And then it just, <laughs> that's well, <laughs> that, that's the thing is that that's what I thought, but it's actually the hardest sport I've done and has taken a very long time to feel like I even know at all what I'm doing. And, um, it's, it's hard. It's, it's because it's such a different kind of sport. It's a very mental sport. And so, you know, I thought I was so mentally tough because I could do these Ironman races and be out, you know, racing for 16 hours at a time, but this is a completely different thing. And, um, I still, um, you know, have days where I'm like, I feel like I just started yesterday because that's what my target looks like, you know, but then I also have these really great targets and I think, okay, I'm ready to qualify for Tokyo. So, um, it's just a really 
it's a different kind of sport, but I, I like the mental part of it because it's a little meditative and a little just, it's really mindful. As I've listened to you tell your story, the thing that jumps out at me, and maybe this is something that will apply to everybody listening, it seems like you always had a goal. Like you always had something to shoot for, pun intended. Like you, <laughs> right. you, you always had something. You, you didn't let yourself just sit and wallow. You, you, you challenged yourself to the next thing, and that really gave you the energy and the focus to keep going to the next thing. Was that a big part of you? Was that intentional from the beginning or is that just kind of how you're wired? It just turns out to be a great, a great strategy for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it turns out that's how I am wired. I am very goal oriented, but I, when I look back at that journal, I've learned so much actually from looking, from reading back at at my journal that I um, did, you know, out of the hospital and everything. Like when I look back at it, I can really break it out into steps of things that I did to get through and setting goals was really part of it. You know, like I looked at, you know, where do I want to be? What do I want to be doing? What's, what's going to make me happy? What's going to take me past the contentment to happiness? And you know, what, what, what is it? And, you know, I just started writing things down and as it turns out over the years, I've accomplished all of the goals that I set out to do. And it's just, you know, it's, it's having that reason to get out of bed. It's having that reason to figuratively put one foot in front of the other every day and say, you know, like, yeah, this goal might take me five years, but at least I have a direction, I have a path and I can travel that. And, um, you know, for me, like, I just, I get so lost if I don't have a goal, if I don't have something that I'm actively working on, I just feel like, why get up? You know? So for me, a goal is really important. Now you wrote the book, your book, Cycle of Hope, A Journey from Paralysis to Possibility. Does it have uh, some of your journaling in there or is it kind of your, like your journey? Is it just really you capturing your journey? Did you go through, but did you go back and use some of those nuggets from your journaling in that I, book? Yeah, I did use a few of the nuggets from that journaling. Um, Giving away all your book secrets now, y'all. <laughs> you're right. No, I mean, just to really um, just give people an idea of the the places where I was, where it was really dark. And I, you know, like, I don't, I don't like it when, you know, people look at me and and say, oh, you're so inspirational without taking a look at the fact that it's not that I'm inspirational. It's that I put in a lot of work, you know, I put in a lot of time and effort and mental and emotional energy into saying, I'm not going to let this beat me. I still have a life to live and I'm going to do that. And, um, you know, so it's, I I think it's really important for people to know that it's, you know, you're not just like born with this like perfect, you know, attitude. And I didn't get into the hospital and right away say, this is great. I'm going to love being in a wheelchair and I'm going to do all these wonderful things. No, it's, I mean, all of life is a process and you have to really, you know, be able to be in touch with that and to realize that, it, you know, it takes time. Anything that's successful, I mean, it, what do they say? It takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Like, it was, all, it was all those 10 years of, you know, waking up and having good days and having bad days and having miserable days and wanting to give up and trying to move forward. And, you know, it's like, 
it's, that's what it was. It was just a lot of work and a lot of just believing that in the end it was going to work out. You know, you have to, um, I've, I've read a, a book on, on hope by, uh, man named Shane Lopez. Um, it's called Making Hope Happen. And in the things that he says that you need for hope is that you have to believe that the future can be better than where you are now. And you have to believe that you have a hand in making that happen. Because it, if you don't feel that you have any control over a situation, that's when you lose hope. And, you know, the thing of that is, is that Sometimes we do get in situations where we feel like it's hopeless, but if you can pick out just one little thing, you know, that you have control over, um, you know, each day, like today I can control the fact that I am going to get out of bed or, you know, like there were some days that I couldn't get out of bed. And so, you know, today I can control what I do, you know, in my bed, which is maybe pull out my laptop and, you know, write something, even if it's just writing down my feelings or, you know, whatever it is, but there's got to be something, you know, that you can do each day that makes you feel like you have some um, ability to move forward and to take some control of your situation. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you came up with that, the the title and the subtitle yourself, or you had help from a publisher or whatever, but I thought it was brilliant the minute I saw it. So obviously cycle of hope plays on the cycling and the hope, but the words hope, paralysis, and possibility. When I thought about that, I looked at it through the lens of, you know, obviously your story is literal, um, but for the vast majority of people out there, that don't, they just don't find that cycle of hope in their life and they stay stuck and almost paralyzed metaphorically in, in, in these bad, dark places. And, and they don't ever look at the possibility and then to your point, the hand that they could have in it. And so I, I just, it's people that get almost on that reverse cycle. It's like almost a cycle of despair. We had, uh, we had, we had, if, if, uh, if, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, you know, when we went back to Dr. Rick Rigsby, he's an amazing motivational speaker, but he had this concept of, you know, people are afraid to hope. And the whole concept was they got stuck in their, in their despair and they became afraid to hope and they let life happen to them as opposed to trying to influence it. And I just love that, that the, the, the title, I love what it means for you personally and your story, but I love what it means for people that aren't you. Like they could read your story and, and apply your story to their own life. That's to me is significant. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you have to be willing to fail. I think in order to be hopeful, you have to say, you know, this is what I'm shooting for. It may work. It may not, but at least I can do something, you know? So it, it wasn't so much for me about, you know, finishing all those races, but just putting myself out there and saying, you know what, I'm going to try to push myself further than I did yesterday. And, you know, that's how I got from, riding three miles at a time on my hand cycle to being able to ride 112 miles at a time on my hand cycle. It's, it's just like, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And I think a lot of people are afraid to be hopeful because they're afraid that they're going to fail, but failure is all part of how you get to success. I mean, it's, you know, it's one step toward that success. And if you don't fail, you never learn anything. You never get any better and you never get to where you're going. So you know, it, it means you have to be willing to try something new. Uh, that's great. Well, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're passionate about now with your nonprofit and then where we can find more, more about you. I know you do a lot of speaking, obviously your book, tell us a little bit about your nonprofit and then how we can get in touch with you to learn more about it. So I'm actually not 
um, operating my nonprofit any longer. I am, um, I, I returned my focus back to sports and didn't have the time to train and run a nonprofit. It was a, um, sports and fitness camp for female wheelchair users. Um, but I, um, I've closed that and I have moved on to, um, my own athletics and, um, writing. So I've, since I've written my memoir, I have written a, um, fiction novel, women's fiction, and I'm completing my second fiction novel right now. What do you mean and women? What do you mean women's fiction? So I'm not allowed to read it? Or I mean, what's that? I don't even know. What you that can means. absolutely <laughs> read it, but it's a love story. And if you don't like sap, then you're, you know, oh, not gonna like it. But one of those. Okay. Uh, yeah, but it's fun to, it's like, you know, fairy tale. It's fun to All write. Right. And um, so that's what I'm doing right now is being a writer and a speaker and um, you know, working and you know, doing the things that people do. <laughs> well, if people were interested in booking you as a speaker, where could they learn more about you? Uh, my website is Trisha, T-R-I-C-I-A, Downing, D-O-W-N-I-N-G.com. Beautiful. And we can also pick up your book on Amazon or on your website or... Absolutely. It's on Amazon. Yep. Absolutely. And that's Cycle of Hope. Great. Yep. Uh, well, this, is, uh, this has been great. And I know you probably... Um, you, you, I don't know if you get tired of telling your story over and 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 over again. Uh, but just, just know that I appreciate you taking the time to tell it on our podcast. I know our guests learned a lot from it and hopefully it's motivated a few people to think differently their perspective and their mindset. Uh, I know that I, I loved learning about you and your story and it gives me a little, little, little boost of motivation for helping do what I do. Right. So, because we're all here for a purpose and we all want to keep pushing towards that purpose. And you've certainly been accomplishing that with yours. So, Absolutely. any any parting words of inspiration and motivation for us as we, as we head out? Oh, I think, you know, it, it's really important for people to just to, you know, take a step back, have a little bit of perspective and, um, you know, ride your own race, you know, do, do be you. I think that's, you know, in this day and age when people are spending too much time trying to be somebody else, I think, you know, just being who you are and looking at what you have and, and being, you know, happy and grateful for that, that's the best way really to move through life and be beyond content and actually be happy. Love it. Well, thanks again, Tricia, for being on and you're welcome back anytime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.